All right, uh, welcome everyone to another episode of the Cosmic Metrics podcast. With your host today, Bernhard Günther. And my special guest today is my friend Aaron Nichols. And Aaron and I, we have known each other for over 10 years, since 2008. Aaron is originally from Los Angeles and living in Thailand slash Boulder, Colorado, mm -hmm. traveling all over. And uh, the reason I have him on the podcast because Aaron and I, as I said, we go back many years ago and he has helped me in my own personal path whenever I needed a man to talk to about personal stuff, uh, reflections, insights, feedback. And I always valued his insights come from an objective perspective, giving compassionate mirroring, especially in light of um, relationships, man's issues, quote-unquote, masculinity, toxic masculinity versus healthy masculinity, sexuality, and many other things we see talked about, especially in this political-charged climate nowadays, um, where there a lot of talk is about toxic um, masculinity and the war of quote-unquote, feminism versus masculinity, gender wars, and all of that. And it's hard to talk about this in the mainstream because everybody gets triggered, everybody's offended by something. It's like walking on eggshells sometimes. So I uh, would just like to have a discussion, talk with Aaron about all of that, also sharing our personal experiences. In particular, you know, talking about... Uh, uh, issues and, and issues or challenges we face as men in this day and age. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron. Thank you, Bernhard. It's good to be here. Excellent. So um, just maybe for the listener, can you share a bit about yourself, you know, your journey so far, where you've, what you have learned, what you have worked at and as? Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, yeah, I've kind of been all over the place and done a lot of experimenting. Um, taken a number of different career paths and uh you know i think probably the the main reason that you invited me here to have this conversation of course because we have a personal history together and um i think both being sort of uh, men who've led alternative you know not uh relatively non-traditional lives um we've related to each other quite a bit around things and um i think we we both we're both kind of like rugged individualists in a way, right. <laughs> but also, um, you know, not in this like traditional masculine, like, um, way that, that, that phrase has been used, but, um, you know, we're both kind of like more sensitive, spiritually sensitive oriented sort of guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've had a lot to relate with each other around in that way. And, and, but so aside from our personal relationship, I think, um, You know, these things have always been really uh, a main focal point for me, like sexuality and intimacy. And then being a man sort of, you know, exploring like, how does masculinity fit into, um, well, just like, you know, what is my own personal exploration around being a man? Um, and especially in these times that are, it's like everything's kind of up in the air. I mean, everything is like... I, I don't know. It seems like, as we were talking about before, it's like everything's sort of, from my perspective, being broken so that it can be rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where does masculinity fit into that and where do men fit into that? And so um, <clears throat> I've personally been, I haven't done like a whole ton of men's work. I haven't been on all of the retreats and trainings, um, but I've done a fair amount of it. And I personally, you know, I mean, it kind of goes into my own personal astrology where I've, I mean, the intimacy and sexuality are kind of like right at the center of everything. So it's just like my own personal karma to explore these things. Um, so really from a young age, like around, I think, yeah, like 18, I started learning, like reading books about sex and, and relating. And um, so it's just been a, a very strong area of interest for me. And, and then years ago, I was doing uh, coaching for men around intimacy and sexuality as I started to um, break through my own like nice guy behavior and, mm. you know, shyness with women and, um, white knight sort of stuff. And then, um, sort of started to find my own confidence in relating with women and, and around, um, well, I, I already had a fair amount of confidence sexually, but, um, yeah, I was kind of like shy with women and insecure and, um, 
That's funny how actually I'm feeling a little bit insecure right now. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. I'm not used to being in this kind of recorded conversation, but, um, you know, but that kind of, that's also, you know, a skill I've developed is like, is truly being with what I'm feeling and being able to talk about it. And, um, I think that that's the time that we're in now is one where we're really learning about intimacy and like, you know, being with all of who we are. And I think it's important, an important thing for men to learn about as well. And, you know, revealing ourselves, revealing who we are, what we're feeling. Um, but yeah, so I was doing, you know, that coaching work and, and it just, something wasn't quite working out. It wasn't really clicking. And I found myself in my rugged individualism, basically homeless and like couch surfing. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I was completely broke. And, you know, in, in the traditional masculine ways, I did not have my shit together. Mm. And, um, so yeah, I went through a very humbling process of actually getting a job, which I, I'd always been self-employed, um, for all of my quote unquote adult life. Um, and then I got a job, which was very humbling and, um, I, it actually led to uh, co-founding a business, which uh, was not really in my area of interest at all. Which again was, you know, sexuality and intimacy. Um, but it was related to some past professional experience I had working with pets. I also, I mean, I've always had an entrepreneurial streak, and I, I had started businesses in the past that all failed. Um, but. Yeah, so I humbled myself and just sort of took this as like, well, it's an opportunity. This is what I can do right now. And I, I surrendered to what was coming to me and uh, ended up for a few years building a business, which um, was a very challenging experience, but uh, led to a fair amount of material success. And I'm now liberated from that. We were um, very fortunate and able to sell the business. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, that's delivered me to a place where I get to really, again, focus on what I'm most interested in, which is around sexuality and intimacy and how men fit into that. And um, so I'm currently writing a book, um, which is an essential guide for men in relating with women, Mm -hmm. uh, basically. And, uh, but it's also really more, it's it's just as much about self-work and self-knowledge. That's really the foundation of healthy relating, in my opinion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that's probably a yeah. fair introduction. Yeah, very much. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. No, it's interesting what you mentioned at the beginning. You felt a bit insecure about sharing this and nervous. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. It reminds me of maybe that a lot of men can relate to it because I also work with men together. And it seems, mm-hmm. you know, it's always this you know, we talked about this before, this topic is going to be tricky because, you know, what the issue I see with generalizations, mm. you know, stereotyping men, mm. women and whatnot, but there's something to be said about what all men struggle with to varying degrees, but the way it expresses itself is very individualistic. You know, you even mentioned your astrology chart, we can get into that as well. Mm. You know, our personal lessons, talents and whatnot, they're very unique to each individual. Mm. Everybody's very different in that sense. But sometimes there seems to be a common struggle for men to be more vulnerable, to open up, right? To share the weaknesses. And there seems almost this social stigmatism, like, you know, men have to be strong. You have to get your shit together. And if I'm not successful with women, I'm not good enough, Mm -hmm. you know, or stepping up to be, you know, like you mentioned, not having your shit together materialistically, so to speak, career, Mm -hmm. money-wise, and Mm -hmm. all of that. So what do you see the reason why my man, because it seems to me, generally speaking, you know, um, when I, you know, also work coaching services or my body work or when I go to yoga classes, workshops, retreats, they're mostly always more women there, mm-hmm. generally speaking, who are more open to that kind of work mm-hmm. and not very men. Why why do you think that is? Mm. Well, I mean, I think in general, women tend to be more feminine um, and sensitive emotionally and interested in their inner world. Um, so I do think that there's sort of a natural tendency toward that. Um, but I also think that there is a way that, um, I mean, it's comp- one of the things I want to say right out of the, the gate is that this is complicated, complex shit, right. which has a lot to do with social conditioning, but also just the complexities of our own individual psyches, as you were talking about. Um, but yeah, I do think that there's a way that, um, 
I think there are a couple things happening with that. And one is that, um, you know, again, I think women are tend to be more interested in, in their inner life. Um, but I also think that there's a way that men are sort of, um, uh, in the, at, at this time sort of, um, confronted by two very opposed and confusing messages, which is one, the cult, the conditioning we we've all grown up with, like you should be stoic and manly and not really, um, be emotionally, um, driven or, uh, you know, you should basically just be that, that sort of traditional toughen up boys don't cry. Yeah, exactly. These don't be a pussy. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, we've been getting this cultural message that being a man is bad and wrong and that masculinity is bad right. and wrong. And so what I think that's kind of done is, 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 uh, put men in a position where we don't want to do anything. Mm. And there's this sort of movement toward men being just checked out. It's like, okay, so I can't be assertive. I can't, um, uh, you know, kind of, and this doesn't happen to everyone because I think a lot of people are still kind of just plugged into the, the, the traditional ways of being, but then those people who I think are sort of, again, you know, innately a little bit more sensitive have taken on this misandrist, and for those who don't know, misandry is basically, uh, what misogyny is like where, you know, misogyny is hatred and contempt for women. Misandry is hatred and contempt for men. And there's this undercurrent in our culture um, of misandry. And so I think those of us who are more sensitive sort of become defeated essentially. Mm. And so it's like, we can't, we don't want to, um, you know, again, there's the messaging of like, be strong, don't be a pussy. And so it's like, you know, if we were to go into an environment that requires emotional vulnerability, that's really scary. Um, so, you know, again, workshops and things where there's group connection, there's a lot of emotional vulnerability in that and being exposed yeah. in a way. So there, I do think there's that. Um, and yeah, so I think there was another, there was another reason that I was trying to point to, but yeah, I do, I do think that's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's an interesting point. I also want to get into, especially in today's climate with this so-called toxic masculinity, and the Me Too movement, which has its place, empowering women, speaking up, but it has its shadow side. Sure. Obviously, right? Yeah. Of There's a lot of this revenge against men or, you know, even the babies thrown out with the bathwater, so to speak, with masculine values, mm -hmm. right? So it can leave, like you said, uh, men very insecure and you don't even know what to do or think or mm -hmm. say anymore, let alone approach women, you know, mm -hmm. anything could be seen as quote-unquote abuse emotional sexual abuse just uh, looking wrong quote-unquote at the woman mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you know it, it it creates a lot of more insecurity you know a lot yeah. of uh, shame and guilt because mm -hmm. i've worked with a lot of men as well and they open themselves up with their own you know challenges and issues and there's for the most part just a lot of shame and guilt around it absolutely you know? and, and and you know and maybe man has a have a quote-unquote, easier time to mask it up behind mm. their masculine shell, mm. right? Or armored up their bodies. Mm. Like you said, women are maybe more sensitive, more internally oriented. Men are more action-oriented mm -hmm. and have the social pressure maybe also from early on social programming to, to be the man in the house and all of that. Right. And what you mentioned also, I mean, I can relate to that growing up very insecure and being rejected by women was, was, was the norm in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, like I come personally speaking, was bullied in school. You know, I didn't, my first girlfriend, the first time I had sex was at the age of 19 and then really rejected, you know, even my 20s uh, being single, you know, made left me very insecure, you mm -hmm. know, not having quote-unquote success with the women. Yeah. You know, just like, it's an ego thing too. And it's not about feeding ego, but also developing a healthy ego. Yeah. Right? And... Um, so yeah. that can be very damaging and, and, and you don't, because we're not prepared, we're not taught any of that in school, right? Yeah. We're not taught, taught really anything think socially, I mean, emotionally, psychologically yeah. in school, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. But, you know, then you quote unquote learn the hard way, but mm. but then it, I feel it sometimes, you know, because you said about like, interesting, you mentioned the beginning, you were shy, more approaching women, mm -hmm. but that has then also taken on I remember those days or, you know, um, this whole, what it's called, the um, pickup movement. Yeah. What, what is it uh, called? P Pick, pickup artists. Pickup yeah. artists. Pua. 
Exactly. That, but that has also become very pathological in the sense of just, oh, yeah. just you know, basing your manhood and how many phone numbers you can get, how you approach women, sure. and it's very manipulative. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think that that, you know, before there was a sort of science developed around that, and it actually was pretty scientific originally, the, the people who developed pickup art. Um, so it's kind of fascinating in that way. But there was already this sort of um, belief that I had grown up with that my value um, or my my identity as a man is largely based on how much pussy I could get, yeah. essentially. And I even know that even growing up with a lot of like psychological or and spiritual awareness, I mean, relatively, um, that I, you know, through my adolescence became conditioned even to, to think that myself. And it was, you know, on a relatively unconscious level, but I did feel like in some way that my, I had to prove my manhood by being able to get women to have sex with me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, it's very unconscious behavior, but I, I was able to look back after, you know, I started to wake up a little bit more and see that I was doing that. Mm. Yeah. And do you feel like that comes, you know, because a lot of the stuff we're dealing with is like an overcompensation because of certain wounds and traumas we've gone through life in, in our early childhood, maybe because it's related to upbringing, to, you know, the classical, uh, you know, you know, relationship to your opposite sex and whatnot, lack of nurturing, lack of mirroring. Have you seen that in your own life at all? Um, that that what in you know, like, like the that. drive to get get being more accepted by women, right? So having sex. Yeah, but with I also think it's it's not just accepted by women. I think it's accepted by culture and by other males, mm -hmm. um, because I think that there is very much this sort of, um, uh, you know, that the we have to prove ourselves to other men that we are men. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of the proof of that is that we're able to sort of, you know, get women to have sex with us. Um, so yeah, there's that, but I also think, I mean, there's so much related to, to early childhood stuff. And I, and I think that, you know, whether, whether it's being expressed in particularly male oriented ways or female oriented ways, we're all wounded from early childhood and in a way trying to prove our, our worth, you know, however that is, um, however we, we end up unconsciously seeing that as individuals or as males or females. And that, that it just happens to be, you know, one of the ways that males are sort of are taught to prove their worth. But then on the other side of that, there's that, again, that conditioning that says like, you should be nice. You shouldn't try right. to, you know, try to, um, overpower women. And of course, I don't think we should try to overpower women, but it's again, this, it's just this conflicting messaging, mm -hmm. which, I think, you know, puts men in this more sensitive men, more aware men in this place of like, fuck, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. Right. That, uh, that's very interesting because what you mentioned at the beginning, I can totally relate to that. The nice guy syndrome yeah. or the white knight syndrome, which yeah. is definitely what I defaulted to. Oh, yeah. As the rescuer Me too. of women in distress, yeah. you know, and then like taking care of them, being there for them. Yeah. But, and, you know, not even standing up for my own needs, yielding always to them and them. Mm -hmm. um, but that made the relationship even more toxic. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's a codependent sort of situation. And, and I can speak to that, too. And I think a lot of men have ha had similar experiences. But, you know, for me, I grew up with a, a single mother. And fortunately, my dad was around. Um, and he really did his best. Um, so a lot of credit to him for, you know, basically, uh, I mean, we're all dealing with our own sort of intergenerational trauma and, and histories and karma. Um, but I can say that, you know, both my parents had really fucked up childhoods and they both really did their best for me and my, and my sister. So I'm super grateful for that. But nonetheless, um, you know, my mom for the most part was raising us on her own and she was very angry at men mm -hmm. for the ways that she'd been treated. And so I literally throughout my childhood heard the words, men are pigs over and over and over again. And it's not just her either. I mean, I definitely got that message very directly from her. But culturally, there's a sort of men are pigs sort of meme, you know, floating through the culture. So again, as you know, I think as a young child, as a, as a boy, you're going to react to that in one or two ways, one, you know, or both, which are kind of bipolar. And one is like, yeah, fuck it. I'm a pig. I'm just going to be a pig. Mm -hmm. And the other way is like, I'm going to do everything I can to not be like that. Mm -hmm. And so... I mostly did the everything I can not to be like that nice guy syndrome. 
Um, but then again, in my sort of, in my later adolescence, and part of this was that I actually moved to like the hood, um, <laughs> which was very, uh, um, oriented toward, I mean, at the time, like, you know, there was so much influence from like gangster rap and super misogynistic. And this is sort of like adolescent masculinity. That's just like, you know, I fuck bitches. I don't love them hoes. Like that sort of thing, you know, actually started to influence me and I didn't really believe it, but again, it's this sort of just like schizophrenic or bipolar. That, that, that distorted ego part of you, right? Sure. To kind of make yourself feel better about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I I mean, I I had some sort of complex balance of those things happening in me. I still, I never was like just a dick to women um, or abusive, Um, but I don't know. It's it's complicated stuff, but, um, but, you know, again, back to that, that sort of the childhood wounding and experiences that I think that a lot of us have around relating to women is, is, you know, getting that message from culture that being male is wrong and so then i think you know what we tend to do is suppress that masculinity and then it's like we're always um or we we become that sort of white knight rescuer who's you know trying to fix women who are broken (laughs) you know um and and, just just for listeners because some people maybe don't not aware of like the what we talk the nice uh, you know the nice boy syndrome, nice, nice guy syndrome, yeah. exact nice mm-hmm. guy syndrome. P- uh, listeners may actually what what's wrong with being nice? So yeah. maybe give to give a context for that. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the first thing is I think we have to really distinguish between kindness and niceness. Mm-hmm. And kindness, uh, kindness is is genuine care from the heart, um, which uh, I, the way I see it, you know, doesn't uh, sort of sacrifice oneself. And which doesn't um, also turn the other person into a victim that we need to rescue. Where niceness is more of like a, a mask. It's a it's a social mm-hmm. um, social behavior that has things be um, pleasant and avoiding conflict. Um, that may also be sort of self sacrificing. And, you know, I mean, it's just in particular with, I mean, the, the, uh, the author, Robert Glover, I believe wrote a book called nice guy syndrome. So he sort of defined this, mm-hmm. this syndrome, um, which doesn't imply to be an asshole or a dick, right? The, yeah, the not at all, right? not at all. But, you know, there is a way that, um, I mean, I would never encourage anyone to be an asshole or a dick <laughs> or, you know, but there is a way that, you know, at least the way Robert Glover sort of, um, prescribes and also part of my own personal process was learning to like to, to get out of nice guy syndrome. We have to really start to be in touch with our own needs Mm. and our own desires and, um, learn to, to be assertive as well. And to, to be, um, to go after what we want. And so that was a big thing for me. And, and some, one of my teachers years ago, uh, use this analogy of a, uh, a folded piece of paper where, so if a pa- piece of paper has been folded in one direction for a long time, you can straighten it out. So trying to kind of achieve a, a balance or, you know, a, a, an aligned way of being, but it's going to keep folding. It's going to, its tendency is going to, to be to keep folding in the direction it was folded. And we might need to fold it a little farther in the mm-hmm. other direction to get it to really right itself, to straighten out. And so there may be part of my own process was actually learning to be a little bit obnoxiously (laughs) assertive. Um, And, you know, not in a way that's like overriding anyone else's desires, but, you know, just pushing a little bit harder in the direction of like, I'm going to actually, you know, approach women and say the wrong thing. And, you know, just like be, um, um, yeah, go further in, in the direction of um, asserting my desires than I ultimately will balance out to. Yeah, um, and I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot more to that. I think that that can be said, but um, yeah, point being that you know we need to sometimes like push harder in in the opposite direction that we've been going in order to achieve balance. And it also implied to you know what you talk about. Uh, just being authentic, authenticity, mm. right? To being your true self. And that's a 
tricky topic. I mean, oh, yeah. I've talked about it. We've written, I think you uh, also wrote about it because authenticity can be mistaken for all kinds of things. Yeah. Can be as a mistaken as a justification to act out your neurotic, wounded ego, mm -hmm. right? And I'm just authentic. Mm -hmm. Or the, you know, this, this distortion of individuality, you know, like, which also we see in, in official culture of narcissists, uh, mm. you know, um, being hailed as role models and all of that mm. but true authenticity meanings beyond in touch like I said with your needs with your deeper um quote unquote sole purpose that's a loaded word but just mm. something more you learn by yourself and quiet knowing yourself yeah. better and the more you know yourself then the less you're also um looking outside for this validation yeah right? because that's we a lot of men all genders mm -hmm. men or women that's a other genders let's talk about this later uh, 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 are looking maybe validation externally oh right? yeah from the opposite sex so to speak oh yeah uh -huh. yeah and i think that's yeah that's at the core of a lot of our issues is um the need for external validation um to be and it's really yeah the funny thing is that it's always related to sort of our self-image you know and wanting our self-image to be validated rather than our authentic self which doesn't need validation it's like <laughs> if you are. really know you know, who you are, which is a lifelong process, I think, you know, and, yeah. and, um, but you know, that, that self-knowledge doesn't need to be validated. And that's part of why I think that the, you know, I was mentioning like in my, my book that I'm writing, the, the self-knowledge is really foundational. Um, and it's, it's, that's for the purpose of relating too, so that you can have authentic, quote unquote, authentic relationships, but also so that you're not, um, you know, seeking attention or validation from others, uh, rather than true connection. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, authenticity is a really interesting thing because it's like, it implies sort of like to, to be authentic, you're quote unquote being yourself, but, but who are you anyway, yeah. you know, and who, um, so, you know, the, the, the classic advice, like the dating advice has always been like, well, there's been all kinds of dating advice and a lot of the pickup art stuff is very inauthentic. It's really like scripted and like, mm. you know, manipulative. And, but then some people, of course, you always hear just be yourself. And it's like, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Easier said than done. <laughs> you know, who do you think exactly you are? Exactly. My point, like, who are you? That's, yeah. that's the ultimate question. Yeah. You know, and if you really sincerely explore that question, it can open up a can of worms because yeah. not only you maybe find your true self, your talents, your gifts, and who you, your quote unquote calling, mm. but all the shit you've been avoided, you've suppressed, your wounds, traumas, the lies you tell yourself, and all of that, mm. the mask breaks open. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, Mm. It's interesting what I've also noted, you know, I've seen this in myself, like I mentioned, you know, I was very insecure, not successful with women at all, rejected all the time because of my own insecurity. And he almost, I mean, the there's also the psychological rule, you attract what where you're at, you know, the outside mm -hmm. reflects the inside. So the, the way you quote, feel about yourself, especially unconscious, that's how other people relate to you as well. Oh, yeah. And it's not just a superficial confidence. It's not about just that ego confidence, but also internally. Yeah. Right. So a lot of things we have suppressed. But I've also noticed, you know, some people, and it goes for both men or women, are very externally over-focused on finding the right partner and almost oh, obsessive yeah. relationship mm -hmm. because they have not found their calling within. Yeah. All right. Because I remember my twenties. Yes, I was rejected by women and all of that. You know, there was long periods of just being single. Mm -hmm. But back then, it didn't bother me that much because I was obsessed in that in those years with music, drumming. Like I had this. This is what I need to do. Like that. I was my drum set was my girlfriend. Right. I'd mm -hmm. rather play hours in my in my rehearsal room, like trying to go out and and, and hit on women and whatnot. So that kind of mm -hmm. was my path back then. But that also helped me to process internally. Like you know, it became exploration of music drumming my in internal process mm -hmm. um so it's all about what we have been tricked into society through the cultural conditioning you know we be bombarded that we have to, you know it's it's almost um especially years ago you know when you're single something must be wrong with you you know mm -hmm. and i also fell in the trap of comparison you know i met my friends that were in relationships and i was envious at them and felt alone mm. you know so i took this on mm -hmm. um so there's just this external pressure constantly if we don't really get more focus more internally mm. and don't get you know and sincerely inquire within to really find the quote-unquote true self like you said before which mm -hmm. doesn't need to be validated yeah yeah indeed yeah and i think another interesting thing about um the uh the idea of authenticity is that I actually read something that Laura 
posted a while back that um, tipped me off to this, but you know, it's related to the word author. And so I've looked into the etymology of this. And so the author is someone who writes a story or um, writes or creates something. And so there's a there's a way that it's like authenticity requires that you are the creator of yourself. And then of course that can go deeper to like, well, you know, there's there's God and in a way we can be like channeling God or something higher and and whatnot. And that, that could be a little bit complicated or confusing, but there's a, a sense of authority, which is another word that's related. Um, and so, you know, that can that takes a lot of work and and um, inner uh, awareness to really be one's own authority. And, um, and that is what also leads to authentic relationships is really being the authority of yourself and not being dependent on validation, external validation. Um, so yeah, I just yeah. think that's another interesting no, aspect of it. So as we touched on a little bit, how does this, you know, in this current climate, social climate, um, very, where everybody, like I said, mentioned in the public arena, official culture is offended and triggered mm. by everything, the quote-unquote gender wars and all of that, this almost oversensitivity. And this talk, we, I mentioned the Me Too movement, the rise of feminism, mm. and this bashing of masculinity, what people talk, you know, in the main, to, uh, called toxic masculinity. And, yeah. and what's, what's being there, because obviously there's the healthy aspect being thrown out with the bathwater, so to speak, as well. Mm -hmm. Well, personally, I think there's actually absolutely nothing wrong with masculinity. And I know that the the phrase toxic masculinity is supposed to refer to a certain type of masculinity, but it does because I think there's even preceding the use of that term toxic masculinity, there's been a strong undercurrent of misandry, which is basically saying that masculinity is bad and wrong. Um, and this hasn't, you know, it hasn't been said explicitly, but I think it's the message that we get. And then, so with all the talk of toxic masculinity, it's, there's not really, I think enough discussion of, you know, what, what is masculinity and what even makes it toxic. And the, um, you know, I think the picture that, that people are trying to paint as consciously as anybody's doing anything, um, is that there are, uh, ways that masculinity has been used that are bad. And I basically agree with that, but I do think that there is a reciprocal relationship and that's what, you know, is very non politically correct to, to talk about where, you know, it's not victim blaming. And I'm not saying that like someone who was raped, like deserved it or, you know, created it for themselves. And I mean, on a spiritual level, honestly, I think in who some knows? way, we, there's we, a lot of unknowns, there's <laughs> a lot of unknowns. And also I think that, you know, there are things we learn from everything. And, and I can say myself too, that I've been, you know, as an infant, I experienced sexual abuse. And so it's, I'm not saying this as like a person who hasn't been in a, you know, in a victim role. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, no doubt men have behaved very badly and to this day still behave very badly in a lot of ways, um, which I think is happening on an unconscious level. I mean, I think there's, um, you know, a conscious person and I, I don't mean conscious in terms of like being spiritually correct or anything, but I mean, someone who's literally conscious does not do things to hurt other people yeah. um, or override the will of other people. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think that, you know, there are ways that, that men, not masculinity, that men have done very bad things. But I also think that essentially through the evolution of human beings, there has been this just, it's, it's less what's, what's not toxic is the masculinity. What's toxic is the relationship between the masculine and feminine. Mm. And, um, I was reading some, um, Eva Perocco's Pathwork recently and, uh, she actually laid it out in a really interesting way, which is so funny. Like, I wonder how people would react to this. Like, you know, if she was saying this kind of thing now, um, not that she was ever really mainstream, but, um, you know, what she was talking about was how there's actually historically always been this mutual resentment between men and women, because on one side, you know, women have been like, I'm oppressed. I don't have freedom. And men are like, you're fucking worthless and dependent on me. You know, I do everything to, to keep this household running. Like I, you know, I, I bring in all the money. I do all these things. And I think that's also part of what gets lost in the conversation about toxic masculinity is actually what's good about men and, and the ways that we historically, you know, have been 
providing and protecting and we do the the crap jobs like you know we're the ones like fucking in the sewer cleaning shit up and you know and also um protecting humankind from wild animals and you know all of the threats of the world and so there there are ways that you know i mean i think inherently masculinity is um i don't want to say good or bad but it's it's neutral and inherently femininity is neutral and there are, are toxic expressions of both but those toxic expressions don't exist independently of each other it's actually a mutual relationship mm-hmm. um so i think that the our task really moving forward is to find the proper relationship of these things and that it happens internally first in all of us as individuals uh, men and women yeah yeah so that's a great segue because it reminds me of like a lot of women or men or many people blame patriarchy yeah. right mm. for the issues in our world male dominance and all of that and there's some truth to it but mm. i really enjoyed um philip shepherd's view on that philip shepherd i had him on the podcast a few episodes ago uh, on the topic of embodiment and he wrote in his book new self new world that we don't live in the patriarchy but in the patrifocal society mm-hmm. obsessed or addicted or identified with the male aspect of consciousness. Yep. So getting it away from the gender identification of male and female, mm. but making an aspect of consciousness. And what is the male aspect of consciousness? It resides in the head, it's logic, it's structure, it's control, it's order, it's doing, Yeah. right? It's growth, it's what we all see, capitalism, all the systems and all of that. Mm. And the feminine aspect of being is rooted in in the body. It embraces all it yields, it nurtures, it's connected to all that is, it's rested in being. Yeah, and right? feeling. And feeling and mm-hmm. all of that. So it's being and doing, but they both need to come together. And we have, mm-hmm. we talked about this before, um, turn these things around, right? Yeah, that's right. And it needs yeah. to be, the, the male needs to surrender to the feminine, first being and then doing. Mm. Uh, but, you know, because we see as well a lot of, very masculine women mm-hmm. as well mm. from the energetic, from this state of conscience perspective. And ironically, in today's third wave feminism, a lot of feminists are very, very masculine. Very masculine. <laughs> right? Well, it's funny. Yeah. It's, I, I think that there's a way that, uh, I mean, we, talking about masculine and feminine yin-yang dynamics can get really complex really quick. Um, and I think, you know, this was a little bit of a segue or a, a, a side note, but um, I just want to throw it out there because, you know, as we'll probably talk more about masculine and feminine things, I just think it's important to see that no thing, no thing you can point to is purely masculine or purely feminine. Mm. And everything, you know, even if you can say, yes, this is a masculine expression, it will have its feminine aspect to it. And it's sort of like, you know, in yin and yang, which are, You know, we can call masculine and feminine each one. Yeah. In the, in the Tai Chi symbol, you know, there's on the inside, there's a, a, a dot of yang exactly. and on the yang side, a dot of yin, but even, um, that's just one diagram and way, way of depicting it. But you could even say that each of those, those sides, the yin and yang have their masculine and feminine side, and it sort of divides infinitely, um, and so also I think it's important to say that, you know, I think there's a huge confusion and one of the things people get triggered about in this time is that we have a habit of equating masculine with men and feminine with women and so when people talk about the problem with masculinity it you know in in their mind it immediately goes to the problem with men mm-hmm. you know and not that I, again that i think there's a problem with masculinity but there's this way that we equate these things and i think we really need to get beyond that and see that there are masculine and feminine expressions in everything mm-hmm. um so i just want to put that out there but so to to go back to yeah what you're saying about this like sort of there's this like over masculinization of women that's happening and a feminization of men and i do think that this is sort of this this, this natural evolutionary process that we're in and shit is just getting broken and confused so that we can sort of put it back together and um, but we need masculinity to do that. We need masculine expression to put things together into order. And that's what masculine expression does largely is order things. Um, but yeah, it's funny because the, you know, it's like there's this fight against male or masculine power. I'm now doing that thing, but there's this fight against masculine power, but it's really women now are sort of taking on that masculine sort of structuring, um, leading 
sort of energy and power um, while it's being called feminism, but it has nothing to do with femininity. It's more like women are – and I think that that's honestly one of the, the things the, – it's like a sad confusion that's happened where we've equated, I think unconsciously, power with masculine because in the patriarchal or patrifocal model, men have apparently been in power – and so, um, but I actually think there's a way that there's a, a sort of a, there's a masculine type of power and a feminine type of power. Um, and that the, because we've, we've seen, um, power as being this sort of more masculine thing, or we're only familiar with that masculine type of power. That's what women now have gone toward. Whereas I think there's inherent power in femininity, which has just been devalued in the patrifocal model where it's like, you know, feeling and being, those are powerful things, but we haven't considered them powerful, you know? And so I think that, yeah, again, we need to sort of exalt, you know, there's this like rise of the feminine. And I think what that really, there's something to that and it's, it's a little bit abstract, but I do think we need to exalt the feminine and, and really appreciate the true power of the feminine, feminine energy, and, and that the um, masculine energies and masculine drives need to be used in support of that feminine energy. And I see it actually even like, I mean, I've modeled these things out in really abstract ways, which I'm trying to like still kind of coming to, to grips with in terms of my own uh, model around it. But I do see even in a way of like the structure of the self where there's like personality and essence. And I see the personality as being this sort of masculine structure um, and the essence being feminine. And in a way it's like, you know, culturally we have valued in the, in the patriarchal or patrifocal sort of culture, we've valued structure and the personality you know, in the sort of external mm -hmm. representation of who we are and what I think we need to do. And it's part of our spiritual development is to make the essence and knowledge of and being with the essence primary. And then it's the, the structure of the personality that supports and gives a vehicle for the becomes an expression for essence expressed. Right. Yeah. In the mm -hmm. world. And so I, I actually think that this is a, um, this process of the sort of, you know, the dissolution of the structures that we know and the, and then the rebuilding that can happen is actually something that takes place in each of us and not just in the world, but it's a way that we can kind of orient ourselves. Mm, I like that's very, very interesting. Like, I like that analogy with personality in essence. Mm. And I agree what we see nowadays with the gender wars, you know, the, the political, like, uh, <clears throat> non-binary movement and the mm. 50, 100, 7, I don't know, many genders out there right now, mm -hmm. and pronouns and all of mm. that. Um, and then, you know, men and women fighting each other. But it's all what I see, um, you know, as you know, my work and, and listeners know from a matrix perspective, it's like this divide and conquer, like we're fighting each other, mm. right? And we, like mm -hmm. you said, the feminists, the hardcore feminist movement are taking this, these values that they actually fought against. It's almost like you yeah. become that what you were actually originally fighting against. Right. And that's how the matrix works, how it overtakes us through our own minds, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then also what I see happening, I agree that everything is being burst open from this perspective of the high evolution of consciousness. Everything is being put into questions. And the divine, remember like, um, I know we, we could talk about this as well. We both watched the series of Shradalu. Yeah. Who talked about? You have the series. Uh, I mentioned him in my last essay on the necessity to um, uh, spiritualize the being and align with the divine. Surrender to the divine. Surrender yeah. to the divine. Mm. Thank you for <laughs> correcting me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a brain fart. Um, <clears throat> so I had the series on there, and, and he also did, talked about um, um, sexuality and gender from the yoga perspective. But the divine is always, it's what we're experiencing right now, the supermental conscious divine is trying to anchor itself and bringing everything up that's not alignment and it's doing. And I really like what he said, the divine is doing the best it can using everything for as its vehicle for transmutation. Mm. But it can only work in, in accordance to how purified one already is, so yeah. to speak. So it then even the divine conscious can express itself distorted because there's always ignorance, you know, our own unconscious stuff, wounds that get intermixed with it, our own projections. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see happening with this whole, you know, social justice warrior movement, yeah. you know, transgender movement, but it's all the, the, the blind spot of all them for the most part is this materialistic view. 
right? Mm. Because I feel on a deeper level, what we just mentioned, what is really happening is the al the needed alchemical marriage transmutation of the inner male and female mm -hmm. on an alchemical energetic consciousness level, but yeah. it's taken as literal. Mm. You know, what I feel, and that may be triggering a lot of transgender uh, people who have, feel they're born in the quote, quote, wrong body, it's like something else is happening alchemically within. Mm. And it's not about followed up with forced surgery hormones, but there's an alchemical process happening, right? Yeah, I, I don't know what's happening in transgender and I, I people. You know, I'm just putting it out there, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think you're probably onto something there. And I think that there is a, a sort of a way that, um, and you know, we were talking earlier, and you mentioned also that uh, Sradalu was. Uh, I didn't see this part myself, but um, I was talking about how we're sort of evolving into a more um, uh, what's the word? Hermaphrodite. Yeah, hermaphroditic sort yeah. of species. Yeah, like and, and long being. time, like the because Sherbin just talked about we're in a transitional state where it evolved yeah. to superhuman. Like that's. We cannot even imagine that right now, but evolution has not ended. Yeah, you know. Well, and so what I think, you know, um, uh, again, I don't know what's happening with transgender people, and I, I don't care so much. And I, I actually think it's important that um, people have their individual experiences and whatever. And so it's not like any kind of judgment on anybody there. But what I, what I wonder is, well, what, what it seems to me is that we're so again, externally identified with the personality and the external expression that, um, you know, and, and, and culturally, historically, gender has been so important that I am a man or I am a woman. And so when someone doesn't quite fit into either of those in their internal experience, it's sort of like pick a side. Nine. W what are you really? And so if someone is, you know, perhaps internally, like if they're in a male body and they're, they're more, they have more of a feminine orientation internally, they might think I need to make my, you know, my identification mm -hmm. as who I am outside into that of a woman and what I think a woman is. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't have this experience, so I can't speak for what it is like for anybody else. But I, but I just wonder if there's still there's so much external identification that we have with I am a man or I am a woman that it's like then okay now I need to physically alter my body to match with this. Whereas maybe some people are just freaking more complex than that, you right. know. And and it's sort of like a I don't know. I mean, I don't know what what the answer is. No, no, it's true. I mean, yeah. also for the record, I cannot speak for anybody's mm. experience, mm. literally anybody except for my own, and yeah. I wouldn't, you know, want to make any assumptions. And I'm also like anybody can do to them their bodies to them whatever they want to do. Everybody free will. Yeah, right? totally. So that's 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 as a given. But it's just interesting to look at it because it's very complex. If you look mm. at it not just from a biological material perspective, but from a metaphysical spiritual karmic perspective you know mm. i mean a lot of people on spiritual path you may not believe in it you cannot prove it but reincarnation past lives you know we haven't been always the same gender mm -hmm. <laughs> or even race in past lives yeah right right so, although Sridali did i think say that we tend to incarnate and that's interesting in yeah yeah that, that's a, i think yeah. there's maybe a period of a time yeah you know i don't know i mean i've done some like past life regression uh, stuff myself and I was male in every single one of them yeah. and who knows how much of that was my own filter <laughs> that's you know, true psychologically. That's, that's, that's an interesting point but I did I mean I I didn't see one incarnation mm -hmm. as as female and I, I probably didn't see all of them yeah. um, <laughs> you know well technically speaking we, we're not allowed to have this conversation as two straight white males right now so who are we? <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah uh, yeah allowed. that's it's it's a tough thing um, you know being on top you know <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! No, yeah, no. That's it's actually no. It's funny. Like I, um, I mean, I'm you know the typical yeah straight white male now you know, and I've always been somewhat economically privileged, though I have been broke as shit and you know literally homeless like at times in my life. But um, yeah, it's funny. There's a there's a way that it's like people culturally, especially like sort of the social justice movement are like, you basically say people like us have no place to talk yeah. about any of this stuff and our opinions don't matter and we need to just acknowledge our I privilege. Mean, exactly, but this is the disease of collectivism to try and make everybody the same and this, you know, um, yeah, collectivism of group identity yeah. rather than because I know, you know for yourself, I've worked with thousands of people 
all across the board. I've, you know, even my bodywork practice have worked on transgender, like all like mm. kinds, you know, and then never any judgment. And I see everybody has their unique experience and the unique lessons, karmic, spiritually, emotionally, trauma, wound-based, you know. So it's about the individual. Yeah. Regardless what race, gender, and whatnot, right? And then everything affects everything else. But it, it is, it, it is, and, and I think that there is, you know, I, I can personally see in the trajectory of my life how there, how there is a privilege that I have experienced being white, even in the unfolding of my career, honestly. Mm -hmm. Whereas the people used to give me the key keys to their homes. I had the keys to like 20 different people's homes. I was, a, I was a professional dog walker. Right, right. Um, so I was coming in and out of people's homes when they weren't there. Um, a lot of trust involved there. And I honestly think that a lot of those people wouldn't have given me the keys to their home if I wasn't white. Yeah. You know, and, fair and, enough. Yeah. You know, and so there is there is something to that. I think that you know that. that but should you feel guilty about it? No, I shouldn't feel sorry. guilty. No, no, not at all. And so the and so, um, but you know, really, what I wanted to say before is that I think that there's um, it's not there's definitely not any kind of poor me thing happening here. But I do think it's fair, you know, to acknowledge that psychically there is a certain. Um, pressure, especially for more sensitive people who actually are compassionate, like I think you know you and I are, and who um, want to be responsible and 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 be kind, and um, that there is a psychic effect of people like blaming you for everything, yeah. you know. And it's honestly for a long time. I mean, I, I've always been sort of I was raised in like more of a progressive liberal sort of you know framework. Um, and, and so I, I myself, I mean, especially when I lived in a black neighborhood, I fucking hated white people, you know? And I, and I thought like, there was like this self-hating thing. And I was like, all of the problems of the world come from white men. And, um, now I can see, I think that's like literally not true, but also, um, you know, it's a, I just think that it's, it's, it's fair and healthy to acknowledge that, well, there's nothing like for me to, um, I mean, I can see that I have been privileged in, in certain ways, um, by my, you know, by basically being the, what's considered the norm. And also again, like the, like the example I gave of having certain trust inherently sort of given to me for no, for nothing, for nothing that I earned. Um, so I, while we can acknowledge all of that, I also think that there is something that's deeply damaging and challenging about being the focal point of people's blame for everything, yeah. everything. And I honestly think that's really hurting men that's an, overall. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a deeply painful thing. If you, if one really takes it in and acknowledges it to say that like who you are by birth is the cause of everything wrong in the world. Yeah. And then that's where I think, you know, um, there's so much self-hatred and self-destruction that happens in men uh, because of, of that messaging. Yeah, no, good, good bring yeah. it back to the, but you're right in the end, it, the biggest trap I also talked about is the blame victim trap. Oh yeah. And no matter where you are, because that from the matrix perspective, uh, even from occult levels, hyperdimensional levels feeds the divide and conquer frequency. Mm -hmm. We fight each other. Yeah. And wh what is it based on? It's based purely on identification. Right. Right. So even now we see the deliberates and you know, everything, what people don't understand, I've written an article about in general, it's like the law of duality. Whatever you identify yourself one side, it automatically creates metaphysically the other side. Like you mm -hmm. literally manifest it, mm -hmm. right? So if you're strong, identified leftist liberal, you create uh, the right wing, mm -hmm. the whatever called the alt-right or far-right, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So you just like, as long as you strongly identified with one side you create and in, in, in that sense support the other side it's this perpetual loop of conflict you you're mm. caught in that loop you won't get out unless you get let go of the identification so in general what you mentioned before is just the strong identification with external with personality with gender whatever it may be mm. with race whatnot that's actually the key that keeps us from quote-unquote uniting or healing or having a more compassionate society i don't know like this ideal mm. we are striving towards but it's all based also on conditioning and wounding and whatnot mm -hmm. right and like you said like yeah 
And then not understanding higher laws, metaphysical laws, the law, universal laws, the law of cause and effect, karma and all of that, who knows, you know, mm. uh, who we might have been in, in past lives and whatnot. So yeah. uh, all of that comes into the equation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, as we were talking about earlier too, I think we're, you know, again, it's not like to say people should just get over their, the ways they've been abused or anything like that. But I do think that there are lessons in everything, you know, and, And um, I was giving the example of someone who, you know, whose um, birth trauma and, and tra later traumas in life all informed their, their life's purpose or were interrelated at least, you know, and that was revealed later that their life purpose was sort of, um, you know, shown in their deepest traumas. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the case for me too. Um, that, that's can I say something? Yeah. That's fascinating because I remember what you said. You mentioned actually the, what you mentioned was the story of of Wim Hof. Yeah, right. Mm. Who can you maybe just uh, share that? Yeah, sure. So um, you know, Wim Hof was sort of um, inexplicably drawn to the cold in his uh, late teenage years, I believe, the cold and breath work. And he actually, he had some inclination that he wanted to, to develop sort of spiritual powers or, um, or cities, but he didn't really know why he was drawn to the cold specifically and, and uh, breath work. And then later in life, his mom told him the story of his birth where he was born uh, severely, like dangerously deprived of oxygen and into an environment that was too cold really for an infant, um, for a newborn. And so, yeah, it was like right there, the two keys to the ways that he developed his spiritual, his powers um, were right there at his birth. And then also later his wife committed suicide and, and that sort of, um, you know, further informed and shaped his, his mission to help people be right. happy. Now that's fascinating because that, you know, I can, we can maybe all relate this to our own life story because many, when I look back into my life, certain struggles and really I've, you know, yes, I've been quote unquote well off for the most part mm. you know but it's also relative suffering mm -hmm. right but i had my own challenges and sufferings depression suicidal tendencies and all of that and intense you know we all have our challenges in life deeply suffering but then looking back at some of these experiences that were literally initiations almost tough grace needed to bring me to the place where I'm at right now. Yeah. You know, it reminds me also of Sri Aurobindo, for example, he was imprisoned in solitary confinement for a year until he had this vision and like, or this mm -hmm. enlightenment and God, divine speaking to him, yes, that was my doing because I need you to have that experience to do the work I put you here for. So that goes back again where everything you thought we only can see through this very limited lens of our mind, the rational mind, and who knows, we don't see with what the mother said with the, the eyes of the divine, what the higher plan really is. That's right. right. And it's hard to say to someone who's lived a, a very, let's say, underprivileged or traumatic yeah. life. Um, that's something they would have to discover and, and decide for themselves. But I think that that's where another really triggering person, Jordan Peterson, <laughs> uh, or I mean, he's probably like the most triggering, triggering person in the sort of uh, in the mainstream, I in guess. The mainstream. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's where, you know, I think his message of self-responsibility is, is really important. And I think it's critical. And, you know, he's not the only person saying that, but it is kind of his core message. And so whether you take that only um, sort of on a psychological basis and you know William James who founded psychology basically his his whole revelation in his life that turned his whole life around was taking 100% responsibility for everything in his life and so just from a psychological perspective that's powerful and saying like you know what no matter what happened to me in the past I'm responsible for now you know um, and I didn't I didn't do these things to myself at least you know from a sort of basis in physical reality, but I'm responsible for fixing them, yeah. you know? And so that that's helpful psychologically, but then also I think spiritually it can be taken farther to in some way I've created this whole experience for myself, yeah. um, which is super powerful. And I think that that's sort of what everyone needs to move forward in their lives. And that this, you know, it, the, to not be taking the position of I'm a victim because that being a victim necessarily puts the responsibility outside of yourself, you know, and blaming, we're always blaming someone else. Yeah. And I think that's across culturally, no matter what someone's position of privilege is, even people who are, you know, highly privileged blame other people for their problems and blame, you know, whether it's, you know, they blame the liberals or they blame the conservatives or yeah. you know, whatever. It's just like, it's blame is pervasive. And I think it's, it's actually one of our biggest 
problems. Exactly. Yeah. Now I'm glad you brought up Jordan Peterson. I don't mention Matt. Uh, you know, also for the record, also, I know we both agree with some of the things he said, but mm -hmm. we, not with everything. Not right? everything. He obviously yeah. he has his own issues. There's always a red flag if somebody gets so popular in the mainstream, so mm -hmm. there's something mm -hmm. missing. Yeah. You know, and uh, so, you know, it's just, you know, truth is mixed with lies as well. But, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, Anybody gets triggered by any uh, triggered by anybody is a big lesson, big sign to look within yourself what's actually going on, right? Yeah, so that's that's the main. If you have some basic understanding of just psychology, yeah, but most people will not because will not. they're it, it's easy. It feels living totally fucking automatically, exactly. So which maybe we'll get into in the second hour. Exactly. Huh? <laughs> so we're, we're ending at the first hour here. Yeah. Um, yeah, the second hour. I really want to talk more about deeper, like this topic of masculinity, healthy masculinity, what it yeah. actually looks like. Sure. And talk about sexuality, Great. especially from the male perspective. Mm. Um, talking about the big uh, topic, the elephant in the room topic of porn, pornography. Yeah, in this day and age, mm. and also looking at it off maybe from a more occult, esoteric, and hyperdimensional perspective. Yeah, that'd be great, and dive deeper. So. For anybody who is not a member yet, please go, you can sign up at my website, veilofreality.com and have access to all the second hours of the podcast, access to the membership forum. And there's also a monthly group Zoom call um, hosted by me, by my wife, Laura, and myself. See you guys on the other side.